Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hello, my summertime friends. And go Canucks, go. (laughs) They just did. They just did. They just went all over the blues. Yeah. They gave the blues the blues. Yeah. yeah, I was going to make a blue balls joke, but uh, I couldn't. It just wasn't really working. No. But uh, yeah, yeah. Stanley Cup champs, toodaloo. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. We strongly advise listener discretion. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and a Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Pretty chomp, pretty chomp. Much chomping. Yeah, gleeful chomping. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. Let's get on with the show. I can't speak for you, Scott, but I like a good bank heist story. Oh, yes. And perhaps that's due to my GTA 5 addiction, where I actually get to rob banks as a a virtual person. It's super fun when it's in a video game. Right. It's super fun, and I approve of it. In the real world, don't rob banks, Mike. Yeah, don't do that. And we've covered a few bank robberies on Dark Poutine in episode 62. We looked at the dramatic and violent North Hollywood bank shootout uh, in an away game. And in episode 123, we learned about the suave and charismatic flying bandit, Ken Leishman. But it's time for another. And this one ends with a bang and leaves some enduring questions. Okay, I love enduring questions. You are listening to Dark Poutine episode 138, the 1973 Kenora Bank Robbery Mystery. Oh, my birthday year, so this is going to be great. <laughs> it doesn't mention you in what this episode. What the hell? It was a pretty monumental moment. <laughs> I don't think it was. No, well, for me, it was pretty for great. For you, absolutely. For, it's pretty great. And your parents. Me. Yeah, well, huh? yet to be determined. At least your mom. Sure. <laughs> Kenora, Ontario is another of the small cities, population around 15,000, that I passed through on my return trip west during my cross-country drive in the summer of 2018. Like Moose Jaw's Mac the Moose, Kenora has its own iconic statue, Husky the Musky. (laughs) That's pretty large. And he is really large. Husky is the nickname of a 40-foot-tall outdoor sculpture depicting a muskellunge in Kenora, Ontario's McLeod Park. Which is a fish. Right. The first Husky was constructed in 1967 as a potential Canadian centennial project by Jules Horvath and Bob Selway from Deluxe Signs and Displays under the direction of the Kenora Chamber of Commerce. Sure, that's official. 
Since then, the sculpture received national recognition, in part due to its size and position along the Trans-Canada Highway. Somehow, although my eyes were open <laughs> as I drove past, I missed Husky. Husky. Uh, so, a lot of questions. Uh, mm-hmm. Why is a fish named Husky? Well, because it rhymes with musky. For sure. But you would, you know, I'm sure if I didn't mention it's a fish, people would be Maybe thinking, he, oh, there's a giant husky dog statue. And are they fat shaming him because he's a husky fish? This is a great question because that's not, not nice. okay. It's not, it's not okay. But although when, when I can see the image of the fish, it's pretty svelte. According to Britannia.com, quote, Kenora, Ontario lies along the northern shore of the Lake of the Woods, 300 miles or 480 kilometers northwest of Thunder Bay. Mm -hmm. The Hudson's Bay Company built a trading post on Old Fort Island in 1790, and lumbering in the locality was followed by a gold mining boom from 1890 to 91. The settlement was incorporated as Manitoba Town in 1882, when it became a divisional railroad point, but it was awarded to Ontario following a territorial dispute. It became an Ontario township in 1883 and a town in 1892. Kenora derived its name from the first two letters of Kiwatin, its sister town, and nearby Norman, Hmm. and Rat Portage, an early name given to the town because of the migration of muskrats between the lake and the Winnipeg River. Rat Portage doesn't have a good ring to it. No, you don't want to say, hey, where do you live? I live in Rat Portage. Yeah. yeah and you so attach rat to anything and suddenly it does. you're not picturing like a life of luxury. Visions of dirt and, uh, <laughs> and yeah. the Black Plague. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the town's economic activities are based primarily on pulp and paper milling, flour milling, fish processing, and boat building augmented by tourism. There is an airport 8 miles, 13 kilometers northeast, and a seaplane base is located in a downtown lake area. The Colorful Lake of the Woods International Powwow is an annual event. Hmm. It takes place in August. Pretty I cool. I always wanted to attend one. I've gone to one in North Vancouver. Oh, did you? At the Longhouse years and years I've ago. Heard, yeah, I've heard wonderful stories about it. Yeah, that. yeah, it's, it's quite good, and the food is amazing. Yeah. As well as the story we're about to tell, Kenora is the home of former NHL player Mike Richards. He's a former Team Canada captain, Philadelphia Flyers captain, and two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Los Angeles Kings. I know. There's also a more notorious tale that took place just outside of Kenora. Oh. The story of Charlie Wenjack, the little boy whose tragic story was made famous by tragically hip frontman Gord Downey in his work The Secret Path, co-written by Jeff Lemire. Wow. Charlie Wenjack, for those who don't know, was a young Ashinaabe boy from Ogoki Post in Martin Falls in northern Ontario. He attended Cecilia Jeffrey Indian Residential School near Kenora. Mm. The school was run by the Women's Society of the Presbyterian Church. And I'm sure just because it was run by a women's society, it didn't make it a nice place because... It's a residential school. Charlie, after attending the school for two years ran away on October 16th, 1966. He was headed home when he died of exposure on Mm. October 23, 1966, on the railway tracks near Reddit, Ontario, the home of his uncle. Oh, that's terribly sad. Reddit, there's a town called Reddit. You can learn more about Charlie uh, Wenjack's story at downywenjack.ca and at secretpath.ca. I love all the work... Gord Downey did in for, regard to that. Well, for Canada, mm-hmm. uh, the indigenous community, like he was a very, very wonderful and kind and powerful storyteller. In 1973, when the, the events in this episode took place, Kenora was only about two thirds the size it is today, with a population of around 11,000. Eh, still small. On April 23rd of that year, a man checked into the iconic brick Kenrika Hotel at 155 Main Street under the name. Paul Higgins, and wrote his address as 435 Glen Drive, Toronto. With the man was a yellow steamer trunk with Paul Higgins stenciled on the top. The taxi driver who'd driven him to the hotel helped him carry the trunk into the lobby. The driver later noted that the man had what he thought might be a Quebecois accent, Mm. but the fare was not talkative enough to be sure nor did the man respond when the cabbie tried speaking to him in French. So it's unclear 
but it was just the way he spoke, this yeah, guy thought. Yeah. Maybe. So it could be faking an accent, or he just, they might not. Who knows? Yeah, maybe they just, he's mumbly, who knows? The man made his way around Kenora's downtown, and several people saw him. Some attempted to talk with him as he wandered, checking out businesses, including Kenora's banks. Hmm. The man rarely spoke, and if he did, the conversations were brief, often only one or two words. He ate at the same restaurant, the plaza, at the same time for the next few days, always ordering exactly the same thing. Developing routine already. From the book, The Devil's Gap, written by journalist Joe Ralco, quote, He arrived at 9.45 a.m. every day and always sat in the same booth with his back to the picture window instead of facing Main Street like most of the other single customers did. His habits became creepier and creepier for the staff and the regulars, Higgins always took the outside position on the bench seat rather than sitting in the middle or sliding to the inside along the wall. It looked like he had an imaginary companion. Every morning, he rearranged the condiment containers by height and size from the smallest to the largest. Salt and pepper shakers, then the coffee creamer pot, glass sugar container, plastic bottles of ketchup and mustard, followed by the double-sided paper napkin dispenser. Higgins also scooped all the utensils into a pile in the middle of the table before cleaning each with a fresh napkin and resetting the four places, also by size, teaspoon, fork, and butter knife, ensuring the bottoms were aligned, end quote. That's some heavy OCD right, right? there. My Lord. Yeah. And that tortures some people, you know. Oh my uh, God, yes. I don't know if this gentleman was tortured by that, but... For well, some reason, he was compelled to do those things. Uh, to the degree in which he was setting up that table, that definitely said. So if you're cleaning utensils, that's a high level of OCD. Yeah. That's a high level. And so you're not doing that just because you're like, yeah, it would be kind of neat to do. Like you're compelled. From a later article in the Windsor Star, quote, residents of the town described him as a loner who had little contact with others and who spoke softly when he spoke at all. Dorothy Dunford, an employee of a local sporting goods store, sold him a knife on May 9th and described him as, quote, very weird and the kind of person who might be expected to stab someone with his purchase, end quote. <laughs> That's just what you want to hear. Right? Yeah. I got the feeling as I was selling him a knife, he might be stabby. Yeah, not good. No. No. <laughs> Higgins left the hotel four days after his arrival. He left his steamer trunk behind, paying for his room until May 8th. Higgins then hopped onto a bus, heading into the brush, carrying 11 other wannabe mining laborers. The crew boss was taking note of each person's related skills and the first name only before they boarded the bus. From Devil's Gap, quote, Paul, dynamite, said Higgins. An arm suddenly blocked his way onto the bus. Not wooden plunger detonators, an Atlas detonator hardwired to battery, right? He was asked. Both, replied Higgins, without making eye contact. The arm dropped and he stepped inside. <laughs> well, this guy's an interesting chap. Isn't he, though? Higgins was back in Kenora at the Kenrika Hotel again on May 5th. He went on a brief sightseeing tour. And over the next few days, Higgins spent time in his hotel room and a little more time wandering the downtown area, looking at the banks. <laughs> he settled on the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce on Main Street, and Thursday, May 10th would be the day. I don't think that one was in GTA 5, was it? The CIBC? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> at around 2.45 p.m. on that day, Higgins boldly strode into the CIBC bank and through manager Al Reed's door, taking a seat in the chair facing Reed. He plopped down a large black duffel bag beside him as he sat down. The auburn-bearded man had on a green and brown checkered fedora. He wore a brown and white checkered woodsman's jacket, brown gloves, and on his feet were size 10 Chippewa bush boots with a one-inch thick insole. A navy blue flight bag was slung over his shoulder. So if you're Al Reed... And you see a guy come probably somewhat charging into your office, not saying anything, sitting down in front of you, plops a black bag on the table. You know, like, that's going to be pretty scary. From Devil's Gap, quote, I want money. Before Reed could reply, Higgins continued. Telephone the police, he ordered. Tell them I am here. I want all the cash in the bank, end quote. Well, that's 
the opposite of what you would typically want. Right. Don't call the police. Yeah, this is why. I this, want your. Wow. Yeah, this case is a little weird. Call the police, Mike. Call I the want police. to rob you. I'm here robbing you. I would really like for you to call the police. <laughs> Give me your TV and call the officers. To show he was serious, Higgins took an Italian made 32 caliber Galesi Brescia automatic pistol from his pocket and pointed it at Reed. The bank manager called the cops. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Speaking to the chief of police directly, he let them know that the bank was being held up. What the sweet gibbers is happening? As they were waiting for the police to come, Higgins had the bank manager usher everyone else out of the bank. So it was just he and the bank manager. Okay. As the robber spoke to Reed, a well-known Kenora alcoholic wandered drunkenly into the bank and began ranting and raving. Reed told the drunk to leave, but he refused. The exasperated robber fired his pistol into the floor of the bank, and the man quickly scampered <laughs> off again. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, that'll do it. A little pew-pew into the floor. Higgins took a black stocking and put it over his head. He'd cut out holes in it for his nose and mouth. Well, that's good. It covered his eyes, but was thin enough that the robber could see through, but remain unidentifiable. The man held something that looked like a clothespin in his free hand. A wire from it led to a blue flight bag he carried. Okay. All right. Police arrived and cautiously made their way into the bank as the man had requested. There, they say, the man calmly opened the flight bag and tipped it toward them so they could see what he had inside. Six sticks of dynamite held together with black hockey tape and a container of gasoline. What the hell? He put the device he'd been holding into his mouth after telling the police it was a dead man's switch. Okay, I, I gotta stop for a second, Mike. It's not Christmas time, is it? This isn't like you're, you're pranking everybody with, like, it's John McClane again, is this it? This really happened. What the sweet, my God. Okay, a dead man switch, for those who are wondering, it's a spring-operated switch that can be used to complete a circuit when it's no longer held down. So this means that a dead man switch can be used to activate a harmful device such as a bomb or IED. The user holds down the switch of some sort in their hand, which arms the device. The device will activate when the switch is released, so that if the user is knocked out or killed while holding the switch, the bomb will detonate. Hmm. Yeah, most bomb-related uh, movies, there's going to be a dead man switch in there. Yeah, you see that a lot. Yeah. The robber's demands were simple. All the cash that could fit into his duffel bags, along with safe passage out of the bank, and a policeman to drive him in a getaway vehicle. <laughs> That's quite audacious. Isn't it weird? My God. This is one of the strangest things that I've ever written about. It's really bonkers because trying to understand uh, the thought process behind somebody doing this. Like, is it that he's that arrogant? He's like, I want to pull something very bold off. And I'm going to have the police even drive me home. Like, like, could be like, or is it just, he's fucking bonkers. I'm, well, let's find out. Yeah. By this time, hundreds of people had gathered outside to see what was going on. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> it was not typical to have nearly the entire Kenora police department outside the bank on main street on a Thursday afternoon. So the rubberneckers came in droves. Mm -hmm. Police did their best to hold the crowd of onlookers outside what they thought might be the blast radius but there were way too many people there for the cops yeah. to completely control and i guess you don't want to yell out like he's got a bomb that could kill you all because then it's just pure pandemonium right and is that going to set the you know robber off who knows <laughs> i don't a radio station cjrl was almost directly across the street from the bank <laughs> Here's a portion of the live audio from that day as taken from their YouTube channel. Oh, wow, okay. They had YouTube in 1973? No. Ladies and gentlemen, a continuing report on the attempted bank robbery at the Kennedy Imperial Bank of Commerce on Main Street. Uh, we've spoken to a number of people on the street who allegedly saw this take place, and it uh, was just one smooth operation, walking into the bank, ordering the tellers out, and from there, nobody seems to know what's going on because the man is holed up in the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. He's wanting safe passage out, and the police have been negotiating with the man. The area has been cordoned off. The passers-by again have been moved back further, and uh, they're just waiting now to see what happens. 
As I mentioned, the man is holding what is believed to be a device in his mouth, and uh, from all reports, it, it would appear as though it's a bomb of some sort. Now, the police are standing by. The truck he has demanded is waiting out front of our station right now. So, <laughs> the, so anybody who ever thinks Mike's radio announcer voice when he does it is a bit eccentric? No, no, That's it's it. not. I'm it's right it, he, yes, he's nailing the '60s, '70s uh, radio announcers. Inside the bank, only Police Corporal Lecken and Al Reed remained. The robber told the men to start loading the duffel bag with cash from the safe and the cash drawers. So he's got an officer of the law helping him rob law. the bank. <laughs> from the Ottawa Citizen, quote. After emptying the tills, he asked the manager to open the vault and was told that wasn't possible. He threatened to blow up the bank, but Mr. Reed was able to get the combination from an accountant next door and opened it. The man, quote, cleaned out the safe until he couldn't carry any more, then stuffed the money into a large duffel bag and started looking for other bags to put money in, end quote. I don't know why, but what really caught me off guard, is the accountant next door has the... I don't know how that works. I don't know what the banking protocol is. Yeah, it's not the protocol I would think they would have. In the meantime, Kenora Police Officer Constable Milliard, the officer who had volunteered to drive the getaway vehicle for the robber, arrived with the Dodge pickup truck and double parked it just outside the bank. A police chopper hovered overhead and roadblocks were set up as far away as Falcon Lake, Manitoba. So all of these possible getaway routes were, mm -hmm. were covered. Constable Milliard entered the bank, and the man picked up his money, almost $50,000, 1973. Yeah, yeah. My parents bought their house for $17,000 yeah. in 1967. a good chunk so. of loot back then. The man ordered Milliard out of the bank ahead of him. Milliard and the man tentatively exited as the robber held the pistol on the officer. The dead man's switch was still visible in his mouth. The bad guy was loaded down with bags stuffed full with bills as well as his blue flight bag with the bomb inside. This is crazy. CGRL covered what happened next. We have some more audio from that day, and the recording of it may sound a bit odd, as you can hear more than one reporter talking at the same time. So they're sort of covering each other off. It's very strange. Yeah. Listeners may find the next portion of audio rather intense. Oh. Here's how it went. The man is coming out. He's got a black stocking on his head. He is carrying a clothes peg in his mouth. He is moving back into the bank now. He has got three duffel bags, three duffel bags apparently full with money. Uh, he has moved back in with his, uh, with the man, and they're waiting now to see what happens. Now they're coming back out again. It's the clothes peg in his mouth. He is carrying a flight bag. Uh, with the bomb has gone off. A bomb has gone off. He's been shot. It's gone in front of the... Everything is just rancid. Whoa! The first bang you heard was a sniper shot. Okay. Made by Sergeant Robert Latane of the Kenora Police with a three oh eight deer rifle from across the street. <laughs> Somebody said they heard someone yell, get him, as the guy came out. The second heavier boom was, of course, the bomb going off when the robber's grip on the dead man's switch relaxed. So he wasn't bullshitting about that being a dead man's switch? No. Like, that Like that was the real deal? That was the real deal. Holy Christ. Did the, uh, Officer Milliard, is he okay? Well, we'll talk about that. Oh, my that. God. There was sheer pandemonium as the CJRL reporters continued with their coverage. Here's more audio. You'll hear some condescending mansplaining by one of the reporters toward the end. Uh, oh, no. uh, toward one of his co-workers. Oh, uh, anyway, you'll, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Ladies and gentlemen. A bomb has gone off. A bomb has gone off, ladies and gentlemen. A policeman has been shot. A man. Men are running. Two cars are completely heavily damaged. The entire front of the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce has just exploded. A helicopter is flying over top now. The OPP are coming to the scene. Policemen are ordering people well off the street. Windows have been blown out, literally, all over the place. There's debris, there are pieces of clothing and blood. The, the policeman who was with, the policeman who was with the, uh, the man appears to be not too badly injured. At least he's, he's able to stand up. 
The bank robber is uh, lying, and we would well and truly suppose that he is dead. All right, you're all right, love, you're all right. One of our office girls is uh, is uh, in, in a state of shock. You're all right. Can someone look after the girls? One of the office girls in a state of shock, she saw it too. One could only assume that whoever he is, is no more. Who is this man? Who is this man who attempted to rob the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce? That's a question which will uh, be answered, I've no doubt, shortly. But not by the robber himself. No, no, definitely not. And the policeman, Constable Milliard, had not been, in fact, shot. He was not shot. He yeah. was injured. The explosion blew his pants off. What? Yeah, there are photos with him bare-bottomed. Yeah, it, well, it wasn't good. He was hurt, but uh, not critically. Yeah. He was. Oh. He had to spend a bit of time in the hospital, but he fully recovered. That's how I take my pants off every night. I explode them off. <laughs> it's time to climb into bed. <laughs> <laughs> Onlookers ran into the scene and began scooping handfuls of seared and bloodied cash that was fluttering down into oh, the street. Oh, God, no kidding. They picked it up from gutters and snatched it from under cars with the windows blown out near the explosion. Police had to put out an appeal to members of the public to kindly return the cash as this was evidence and it didn't belong to them. <laughs> it's unclear how much was actually recovered by police who wandered around the scene with a box as others flung cash into it. So people were just putting the piles of cash that they found. Mm, that's nice. And we'll take a break right here. And we're back. This kind of reminded me a little bit of the death of Brian Wells in August of 2003. Wells was murdered during a complex plot involving a bank robbery, scavenger mm -hmm. hunt, and homemade explosive device near his hometown of Erie, Pennsylvania. Following an attempt to rob a PNC bank and, while surrounded by police, Wells was murdered when an explosive collar locked to his neck detonated. It's known as the collar bomb or the pizza bomber case. The incident was shown on live television. Oh, I remember. And it was also a yeah. Netflix show. Yeah, Evil Genius. Evil really, Genius. Really, yeah. real. I really like that. So what are your thoughts on this so far, Scott? This, if you think about this, is bonkers. Yeah. There's not a thing about it that isn't like... So let that be a lesson to, to uh, up-and-coming bank robbers. Don't ask the police to be your ride. Yeah. It's probably not a good idea. Yeah. We'll get into other reasons why you should not rob banks later well, on. In period, in for sure. Yeah. But it's just, there's, it's just so bizarre. Like this guy just seems so unusual, like right off the bat when he's, you know, lining up the ketchup and the mustard and the creamers and. Yeah. And, and, and then and, he robs a bank with a bomb. And the method in which he called the police, I'm here to take your money. Yeah. So the last radio reporter in the audio that we heard sounded hopeful that the man might be quickly identified. For obvious reasons, that would be hard. <laughs> this was not the case at all, though. The blast blew the robber to smithereens. Bits of him were scattered and Whoa. splattered about everywhere. In one video, I saw a shot of the bomber's smoldering forearm and hand lying in the rubble. Wow. There was no way he could properly identify himself now. Why have the Coen brothers not made this into a movie? I this has got like Coen brothers written all over. It really does. From Ralco's Devil's Gap, quote, when the robber blew himself up, he blew up through the second floor windows above the bank into the Kenora Calendar weekly newspaper offices. Flesh and blood and small chunks of the robber's body had been blasted through the newspaper's main street windows. Mm. Gobs of flesh dripped from the sides of compugraphic paper used for layout. It didn't look seriously damaged, but would take some time to clean. However, extra care would be required with the reporter's manual typewriters. All were set up facing out the windows overlooking Main Street. As a result, flesh and blood had splattered into each. Whoa. End quote. Whoa. Whoa. That's gross, man. This is very, very gross. Oof. Not how you think your day is going to wind up. No. I, at least I hope that's not how I think your day is going. I well, hope, I hope. Was he just somebody who was suicidal who wanted to, as I said, go out with a bang? Uh, hey, uh, uh, it's quite possible. 
you have to recognize that there's a high probability this won't be successful. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking the whole time too, carrying a, a, a detonation device that teeth. will blow you up in your teeth, which isn't the most. What happens if you cough? What if you're, because they said he's negotiating with the officers and started talking. Uh, they, he might've been holding it and taking it. Out I, I, I would imagine he'd have to, but you'd have to recognize like, this is not the most secure way to be holding this thing that will blow me up. No. And so yeah. uh, he's either suicidal or just absolutely indifferent to whether he lives or dies. Maybe. There was no Paul Higgins who lived at 435 Glen Drive in Toronto. Wait, he wasn't honest with the name? Fingerprints obtained posthumously did not get any hits in the U.S. or Canada. Hmm. He was a white man between 40 and 50 years old. He stood around 5 foot 10 inches tall and weighed about 170 pounds. In his pockets were a pair of handcuff keys and a Kenrika hotel receipt. In one of his packs, the man carried a, a change of clothing and some food. Armed Forces bomb experts from CFB Winnipeg were tasked with dealing with the man's steamer trunk, still in the Kenrika Hotel, Mm -hmm. as well as his room. They had no idea whether he'd booby-trapped these things before leaving. Absolutely, I'd be concerned about that. The room was cleared and the case was taken to a remote sand pit away from people and detonated. Like we've seen do. Like they'll take your purse from the airport and blow it up. And yeah. Yeah. I'm just, that kind of makes me sad because I'm in my head. I'm like, Oh, what's in there? The remains of old port Dutch prints and Tueros Havana's cigars and cigar packages were found in his room. Oh. Also found in the room, according to Joe Ralco's book, The Devil's Gap were quote, several pocketbooks, including burn after reading OSS in World War II, a Spanish English dictionary, student, in parentheses, a Nazi pictorial book, and canoe trails through Ontario. The robber had owned two small transistor radios and an Emerson 8-inch portable TV with an earplug and an antenna. The police also found several sized keys, a sleighmaker lock, a pair of handcuffs, a wallet with $175 in Canadian money and $5 in American, Canadian and American beer bottles, two metal punches, tin snips, wire cutters, and two combs, one pink and the other blue. Okay, so a lot in there. I, uh, so my interpretation then is his accent may have been um, not French because mm-hmm. it's he's got a Spanish to English dictionary. Right. Um, Weird, right? It's it just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm stymied. And so... Uh, Some people have surmised that he may have been a uh, member of the IRA, the... Irish Republican yeah, Army, yeah, yeah. Uh, because they were known to rob banks to fund their stuff, but not in Canada, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's that's just bizarre. And then, and then with you know canoe trails in uh, yeah Ontario, so it makes you think that with him having food in his bag, and but he stuff didn't have like a that. compass or anything like that. He didn't have any ID. Yeah, you know, there's. Like a, a lot was missing. And what, how large a canoe do you have? If you've got like bags full of money. and <laughs> The remains of the bank robber were gathered up and buried in an unmarked grave in the Kenora Cemetery. The police have made attempts to identify him through DNA matching, but those have been fruitless as well. They did think they had one suspect, but it turned out not to so be. So currently. Unsolved. Holy Christ. Yep. They still don't know who he is. No. <laughs> Maybe he's an alien. I mean, that makes as much sense. <laughs> Could possibly I mean, be. my God. Sergeant Latane was vindicated by a coroner's jury in June of 1973 for his shooting of the bank robber. He later spoke about his motive for shooting the man. He said, quote, I was firmly convinced that if Constable Milliard got into that truck, he was a dead man. I may have been wrong, but that was my opinion. I get that. Um, I also thought that there's a high probability this doesn't end well for Milliard because, you know, if they've got all the roadblocks and, you know, they're going to pull up to one, he may... Detonate there. Yeah, and so, but I, I I feel confident in saying that that's not current protocols. Right. <laughs> I think they've learned a lot since 73. Just shoot him! Yeah, there'd be questions. Yeah. Yeah. Just shoot him! Get him before he gets you! Like Yeah. Mm. 
We'll link to the RCMP's webpage for this case, reference number 2016065871. And after giving the events details on that page and those of the robber, it has contact information for the OPP if you have any information about this guy. Yeah, I mean, maybe you have a great, great uncle uh, that was living in that area who went missing. In 73. Right. Who loved explosives. Well, he arrived there. He was living in a, he was staying in a hotel. He was not from there. Well, but yeah, but that, you know, your uncle's like, I'm going up to, to, uh, Kenora for the weekend. And, um. I'm going to the Lake of the Woods. I'm getting away. I'm going to say, and, um, burn those explosive books I have just for shits and giggles. Yeah, so it's crazy that no one noticed him missing. Well, I'm so I think that leads heavily to the fact that he's probably not from North America. Either that or he was somebody who was very troubled and did not have family Isolated, that was dealing yeah, with him. Yeah, yeah it yeah. could be. But it's very hard. I guess it was easier in 73, but it's very hard to just live a solely isolated life where at least some nobody is like, well, he was my neighbor. Yeah. You know? But also, you don't have a lot of identifiable parts. No. No. Yeah, just craziness. There are a few more spectacular bank robbery stories to tell, but those are for future episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So before anyone gets any big ideas to make more Dark Poutine episodes about bank robbery, let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, let's do that. Of the 22,000 or so annual robberies in Canada each year, just under 5% of them occur in banks. And that number is on the decline. Other locations are far more popular for robbers to ply their trade, possibly due to a lower risk versus return and easier escape as they are softer targets. So the street, being robbed on the street is the most likely place to be robbed. Almost 35%. Right. Uh, Next are commercial places. Uh, at almost 20%, say about 18. So would that be just like, like jewelry stores? Sure. Just at 7-Eleven? Exa- nope. Convenience stores come in later. Oh, okay. At about uh, so they're third. 12, 12%. Yep. yep. And then after that, you get parking lots, mm-hmm. open areas, so sure. just out, of, out and about, transit facilities. Whoa. And then banks. Huh. So you're... Meh. You're more likely to be uh, robbed in a in a park than you are to only lower than bank robberies are schools, which I mean, yeah, they're probably not the most ideal. Uh, they're not full. Of, they're not full of riches. Not a lot of cash there. And, in and and then other, which was according to an article on GlobalNews.ca by Sarah Comedina. Quote. According to the Canadian Bankers Association, between the year 2000 and 2015. Bank robberies across Canada have decreased by 60%. Well, shit, that's a lot of percentages. The security protocols now implemented in banks are also a major deterrent for today's would-be robbers. Mm -hmm. There are a lot more things for a robber to consider than there were in 1973. From the U.S. National Credit Union Administration site, quote, these things are Mm -hmm. physical security. Locking mechanisms, safes, vaults, and high-security locks are very effective against robbery. It seems simple, but good locks can successfully deter or stop a robbery. For sure. Lighting. Properly installed interior and exterior security lighting has been proven to deter crime. Well, interesting. These are all very simple things. Bandit barriers. These are the clear barriers made from bullet-resistant glass that separate tellers from customers. These barriers prevent counter-jumpers from easily gaining access to tellers and cash. Yep. Although they are expensive, the use of these devices can significantly deter or reduce robbery attempts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and now that we see COVID happening, unintentional barriers are put up. <laughs> I, I'm suspecting not all bulletproof, but no. yeah, it's becoming quite commonplace, mm-hmm. no matter where you are, for there to be a barrier in front of you. There you go. To talk around. Access control vestibules, known as man traps. These are small spaces that separate the exterior uh, from the bank lobby and have a solid bullet-resistant doors on both sides of the space. So when you walk into a bank, sometimes you have to walk through two sets of doors. Mm -hmm. That's the man trap. They can actually, in some cases, they can lock that. Brilliant. And then you're stuck in there. And it's bulletproof glass on both sides so you can't shoot your way out. I've seen a lot of videos on the good old Reddits where people get like... uh, 
the robbers get locked in the store. Yeah. Like the owners get out and then you just suddenly see this, no, please, please. No, it's just, you know, I I won't do it again, please. The other things that help uh, deter robberies are surveillance systems. Yeah. Uh, Situational awareness. Staff can enhance security by simply paying attention to what's going on. Use of greeters. Mm -hmm. Financial institutions now will have a guard, like a security guard posted. I know the Bank of Nova Scotia over here does. I was asked to take off my hat and sunglasses there one time when I walked in. Now you can wear a mask into a bank. (laughs) That's very interesting, isn't it? How things have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Actually, in fact, you have to wear a mask into the bank. I actually went to the bank one time in North Vancouver dressed as Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver. I had a mohawk and everything, and I was armed to the teeth underneath my jacket. It was Halloween. And I realized as I was punching in the ATM why the guard was giving me the hairy eyeball. <laughs> yeah. Because I looked like a psychopath. Yeah. I was dressed like one. But I looked like a, an armed psychopath. Yeah. And he wasn't sure, is this a Halloween getup or is it? And he watched me the whole time yeah. I was there and just watched me walk out and walk away. I'm sure it was one of those things where he's like, okay, I know it's Halloween. It's just got to be a Halloween costume. But what, what if he, it, like, where you're questioning the whole, okay, just what to better, be safe. What better time to do it? Yeah, just to be safe. I, I better I, I better not let this person out of my, yeah, well, okay, what if he's, oh, this is the, everybody will think it's just a call. Whew, Mike, he played with fire. Alarm systems and surveillance cameras, obviously. Mm-hmm. And especially now that you can get somebody's picture from a high-resolution surveillance camera and put it on Facebook, yeah, on your right? community's Facebook, yeah. And it can be viral all yeah. over North America. Before you know it, you have the person's identity. And it happens a lot. I mean, hell yeah. You, you, you pull your ding dong out in the marshals in the States and somebody's videotaping you and it's... You, I would rather not. It, has this happened to you? Oh, you don't know this recent? No. Viral. I, I thought you were pulling your ding dong out in marshals. No, no. This is mo- mo- the most recent viral Oh boy. Yeah, thing. Not good. Yeah. And one thing that I really dig is the sort of gadgets that they have. So response and tracking systems. Oh, yes. So panic alarms yes. in different places. Like if they take a certain bundle of money out, it will set an alarm yep. off. All those kind of things. GPS trackers inside the money bags that they hand the guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, die packs, obviously. Yep. And yep. those explode. I've seen some really interesting videos of men covered in blue. Running down the street. <laughs> it's like, it's very obvious who you, was the bank robber. And it's like, I remember when uh, dye packs started to become a thing. And I just remember I was thinking like, well, who cares if you get a bit of dye on you? I, I never realized though. No, no, you're like, yeah, you you've really... got, you're, you're, you're covered in solid blue. Yeah. That will not wash off. Like, so it's, not so it's, easily, no. cause I just thought a little bit of like, poof, and you get some on your jacket and you're like, ah, I'm still, I got my money, but no, no, no you're now part of the blue man group. <laughs> exactly. So thanks to the popularity of electronic financial transactions, many banking institutions just don't have large amounts of cash on hand that they used to. So a bank robber is not going to mm. get away with as much. The average take for the modern bank robber is about between Five and seven thousand dollars, but it can be absolutely nothing because the guy gets spooked or whatever. Cops are on yeah. the way. He so runs. Incredibly high risk. Incredibly low reward. It doesn't sound like a worthwhile undertaking, no. considering the amount of time you can get in the clink here yeah. in Canada. Either, yeah. yeah. Uh, according to the Criminal Code of Canada, quote: Robbery, Section three thirty four one. Everyone who commits robbery is guilty of an indictable offense and liable if a restricted firearm or prohibited firearm is used in the commission of the offense or if any firearm is used in the commission of the offense and the offense is committed for the benefit at the direction of or in association with a criminal organization, they are liable to imprisonment for life and to a minimum punishment of imprisonment for a term of, in the case of a first offense, five years, first offense, Mm. In the second or subsequent offenses, seven years. And in any other case where it's, you know, you use a firearm, you're probably going to go to jail for life. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I knew a bank robber. Did you? Yeah, Was I'll, he in jail for a life? No, I'll, I'll tell you about it after. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, getting caught is also quite likely, as we mentioned, uh, the ability for everybody to share photos. But, you know, I, I'm telling you, 
If I see a photo on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram of someone I know robbing a bank, I'm diamond you out. To oh, absolutely. Crime yeah, for sure. And I want that quick cash. Yeah. Sorry, mom. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not. Um, I mean, unless it was a friend and I saw them, it was like they stole a candy bar. Hmm. It was on video. I might not. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't care who you are. If you're my friend and you're like. On crime stoppers, holding yeah. up banks and shit. Yeah, not good. I yeah, I'll I'm, dime you out. Yeah, yeah. Because you get a good reward. Yeah, you can get a new camera lens. This is what I'm talking about. So, if you want to learn more about this crazy story, check out Joe Ralco's book, The Devil's Gap: The Untold Story of Canada's First Suicide Bomber. And as we mentioned, Joe Ralco was there that day. And we'll also make some photos uh, from that day available. Mm-hmm. And they were shot by Toronto Star's Don Dutton. Oh, mm-hmm. and I'll link to the video. It's a Reuters video of some really gory stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's it for this week's case. Oh. Wow, this like seriously, it's got to be a Cohen brothers need to get on. People listening, uh, tweet this episode to uh, the Cohen brothers. <laughs> Spam bolt. Tweet bomb them, tweet storm, whatever the kids call it. That they need to listen and make this into a movie because it's. I think it would make a good movie. It would make. And it's so quirky mm-hmm. that that is the Coen Brothers, you know, signature. Like so many of their movies have, like just these very. You can picture Steve Buscemi as the robber. Oh maybe. my god, you so can. <laughs> oh my god, like, come on, we're just getting you some work, Steve. Tweet Steve Buscemi to just anybody who's ever been in a Coen Brothers. Movie. Anybody who knows Steve Buscemi, please tweet at him. Yeah, yeah like that, like. I'm pretty, I would, pretty sure people who know Steve Buscemi don't listen to this show. I, I would watch the fuck out of that movie. Would you? Oh, my God, yes. Well. Hell yes. There you go. Even if the Coen brothers didn't do it, I'd still watch it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Oh, my. Well, I guess it's time for uh, voicemails. Then. Oh, well, let's do that. Yeah, if you want to leave us one, you can do so at a one 327 5786 or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. If your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. Uh, let's listen to this one. Uh, this is from somebody uh, who looks like she's from Texas. Oh, wow. Hey, Mike and Scott. This is Mary. I'm down in Texas. Uh, I just wanted to thank you all so much. Um, I actually started listening to y'all's podcast. Uh, when I was working for Austin Pets Live, feed, feeding neonatal kittens from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, I'm a university student now, but I started listening to y'all's podcast then, and since then, um, I've just been listening all the time whenever, now that I work with plants and landscaping, and whenever I'm on my way to class, and I uh, just wanted to thank y'all for keeping me entertained with the dark side of history and for educating me on Canadian history. I have a friend in Ontario, and I now know more about Canadian history than he does, so I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> anyway, um, thank y'all so much. Uh, keep doing what y'all doing. Uh, y'all are really great, and I love the fact that y'all are um, super woke when it comes to shit. So thank you so much. Oh, I'm sorry if I shouldn't have cursed i'm sorry um but anyway thank you so much uh i hope y'all have a great day stay happy and healthy bye you can you can fucking curse all you like holy shit balls yeah well thank you that was the thanks sport. mary wow and she said y'all a couple of times and, which i and i, I believe love. she said f- she was feeding neonatal kitties Kitty. wow thank you you're just like a little kid. You're just a solid human being. I man, somebody with a Texas accent who lives in Texas is listening to us. Yeah. That's just crazy. Well, let's listen to another one. Sure. This looks like it's from here in British Columbia. Oh. Hey, Mike and Scott. Uh, this is Andrew Colling, big fan. Uh, listen to tons of episodes over the past uh, couple of years here. Um, just had to call because uh, hearing the voicemail last week from a person in my hometown here of Creston, BC. Uh, I actually live here and I work at a sawmill as well. (laughs) Uh, I didn't recognize the voice, so I'm not too sure if I know uh, this person, but I run what's called the head saw or the head rig at uh, our mill. And yeah, basically all day I'm sitting there eight hours a day and I've got lots of time to listen to podcasts and your guys is definitely my favorite. yeah, what turned me on to the podcast originally, one of the first episodes happened to be uh, Dale Morrell Nelson. 
and I pieced together that my mother was close to the same age of some of the people involved in that uh, episode and through that found she had a had known them or had a bit of a connection and actually uh, owned the Limits of Sanity book. <laughs> Things you'd never know about uh, your your own mother unless, yeah, you kind of <laughs> learn them that way. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of cool. I've got a chance to read the book now. And I just thought it was <laughs> funny that you you have a following of uh, your podcast in the sawmill community in Crescent, BC. There is two mills, so the guy could be from another mill, like I said. <laughs> Didn't recognize his voice, but thought it was kind of funny. Hope you guys are well and uh, surviving all this COVID stuff like the rest of us. And uh, go take a shit in your hat. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. Thank you so much. And, that, and it's nice to have somebody else from Creston calling. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, I heard another guy in a, <laughs> working in a sawmill. If you, hey, if you're both, join the Yumber Yard and connect. Because, I mean, maybe you guys can. Come hang out with us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Take a road trip out here. Be we'll, like we'll, all the other crazy people and sh- and show off, Show uh, just be like all the other crazies who come and hang out with us. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that's hilarious, though. Yeah. It's crazy to think there's two dudes working in a sawmill, probably listening to us at the exact same time. Like you guys have no idea how much we, Scott and I have talked about this on the show, but we do talk about it off the show too. Like the fact that people who have real jobs listen to us is kind of cool. It's, it's just so mind blowing. And, And I'm always wondering too, like sometimes I'll be taking the bus and stuff and I'll get some looks but I don't know if it's like I just spilt coffee on me, you or if they, did. like if you see me on, on the street and you recognize, please me, come, say hello, come say hi. Yeah, both yeah. of us. That goes for both. Because it us. just it blows it blows our mind. It's just the neatest thing. It's yeah, yeah. It's just you just need to wear a shirt that says "I'm Scott from Dark Poutine." <laughs> well, I'm wearing my Dark Poutine. Uh, Mask. mask. And oh, so I think yeah. that's where like some people might look in it, but maybe not even clue in that it's me. They're like, oh, I like that. You know, too. I had like a, uh, somebody at work who I met the other day mm-hmm. and she was like so excited. Oh, you're Scott. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And she's like, oh, that's, oh, okay. I've been looking for it. Oh, I need to, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh so gonna... she wants to talk to you about doing a I'm, show. I'm thinking like, is this another fan who I work with? She's like, I, I, I need you. You, you, you didn't provide the right documentation. For it. I'm like, oh, I was, for a minute, I was excited. Like, oh yeah, I, I could really use this boost of love today. And then like, no, yeah, you just, nothing. yeah, you gave me the wrong banking info. Well, let's listen to one more. Sure. This one's from early August. And like we said, we will get to them. If you are, if your call is, is decent, we yeah. will play it. Here's, here's another one. This is more local, I think. <laughs> Hello, Mike and Scott. This is Melanie. I currently hang my hat in Souk, BC, but originally I'm from New Hazleton. I get real chuffed whenever you guys cover stories from my old stomping grounds, like that B-56 that crashed on a mountain near Smithers. I've actually seen the wreckage of that plane. I'm looking forward to the episode on Simon Gunanute, which I'm sure will be followed up with some static and guff about two miles. To be clear, there's no house in Two Mile. Well, there's houses there. It's not like they live under a tarp, but it's just plain old Two Mile. You can even ask to Google. If I'm lucky, you've also done an episode on Kevin Vermette. And if so, I look forward to it. And if not, why not? Love you guys, your positive vibes, and the empathy and consideration you bring to each case. If I may leave you here with a traditional blessing, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may you always have a hat in which to shit. You can cross-stitch that and hang it in your kitchen if you want. Cheers, guys. Okay, the best oh, best voicemail ever. That right there was amazing. Wow, <laughs> wow. What's your What's your show? I want to listen. <laughs> that was pretty. Because if you don't have a podcast, you need to get on it. And shh, we might be doing a Kevin Vermette episode at some point. Oh, don't tell her. Okay, don't tell her. It may be. maybe, maybe, yeah. well, just maybe. You know, it's, it's it's up in the air. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> that was great. Um, 
uh, you can leave us a voicemail at one 327 5786 Please try and top that one. If you can, do it, but I doubt it. Thank you so much. That was really great. It was. Uh, now I guess it's time for patrons, Scott. Oh, okay. i got to warm my brain What's going to happen? Yeah, you warm, better warm that brain up. Warm my brain Warmity, warmity. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's looks like, oh, wow, there's smoke coming out of your head. <laughs> That's what happens when I try to use my brain. <laughs> I try to keep it to a minimum. Yeah, it doesn't work so good. Yeah, usually quite successful at the what? Keeping my brain making not a fire. No, making it not not using it. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay, it's time for patrons, and uh, mm-hmm. you guys are getting off the hook this week because there's only three. Yeah, it's, uh, times are tough. Times <laughs> but, are tough in this world. But three are better than none. Absolutely. And actually, you know, we still have lots of patrons. That's fine. That's okay. We'll take it. We'll take it. Our first patron is from Clinton, Ontario, mm. and his name is, he leaves his real name here as shipping address, but his username is Hat and Heavy. <laughs> I just love it when things get Hat and Heavy, Mike. Right? Yeah. yeah. Throw the passion into there and get a little Hat and Heavy. Yeah, I'm looking at his user profile. It doesn't really say that there's a lot of information about him here, yeah. but Hat and Heavy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sold. So there you go. What does Hat and Heavy do? Uh, well, as one would think, makes extremely heavy hats. Fair enough. Yeah. A minimum seven pounds each hat. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, that's what they want. Very heavy, uh, uh, skull crushing. Some of, I've read some reviews where they're like, this broke my skull. Oh my. It's like, well, what do you expect? You bought a hat and heavy hat. (laughs) Like, come on! It's not light and heavy, or no, that wouldn't that wouldn't make sense either. It's not hat and light, is it? No, no, it's not. It's, it's hat and heavy. Hat and heavy. Yeah. Hat. And well, heavy. well, thanks, hat and heavy. Thank, yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you. I'll listen to your podcast as well. Right. Uh, next up, we have Darian Johnson. Oh, and Darian's from Abbotsford. Oh, that's just. Uh, over yonder. A hop, skip, and a jump. I We can throw rocks towards it. Abbotsford Killer. Uh, second yeah. and third episodes. Mm-hmm. A trigger warning. I'm trigger. Yeah, yeah. And I look back now and I'm just like, oof. It was two and three. <laughs> right. Like, it was a while it's ago. Forgivable. It's forgivable. Yeah. Hey, th- those got us on My Favorite Murder. So what does Darian Johnson do in Abbotsford? In Abbotsford. Oh, uh, a shit disturber. Good for him. So, <laughs> essentially, that's somebody whose job they plow feet, like manure. Oh. Yeah. They I lay thought man- he was just a troublemaker. Well, probably. But no, they just lay manure in, in the, all the farm fields in Abbotsford. So, they lay manure and then they have to, like, sift it. So, <laughs> shit disturber. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Next up, we have Monica Pointer. Oh, hi, Monica. Monica is from Calgary, Alberta. Yes. My wife's from there. We have one of those in Canada. That's where she's from. What? (laughs) This is crazy. What does Monica Pointer do in Calgary, Alberta, Scott? Well, she directs traffic. Oh, so she's a police officer. Pointing. Oh, you, she you go that way. She's a pointer. Well, I mean, she she can you know. So she a flag person? No, no. She just points. Yeah, it's like if a street light is down. No. Then she's the one who's like, okay, you green, go. And she'll point. That's a, that's a flag person. Well, but that's just not construction. It doesn't have to be construction, Mike. And she'll tell you which direction to go by pointing. Hmm. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It is. So thank you. Thank you, thank you very so much, Monica Pointer. Thank you for directing us. Thank you. Next up, we have our donut money donors. Yes. And the first one is Dakota Harrington. And she says, keep up the good work, boys, and have some Tims on me. Dakota from Vermont. Oh, sweet. Thank you. What does Dakota do in Vermont, Scott? Oh, um, she, she makes kites. 
She's a Cust- kite maker. Cu- custom made kites. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was like she'll... I like the ones that look like a koi, like sushi. And... Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I thought you would. Yeah. I thought you would. Yeah. yeah, she makes. Yeah, she'll she'll put like uh, designs, like your image on the kite and stuff. Mm. Which really, I mean, that sounds cool. Nobody sees them. I guess up in the sky, like they can't see your face on the kite. But I guess well, you feel good about it. I if guess, it's you know, big enough, you could. It's, well, uh, you know, from what I understand, the largest kite she made was seven feet. Oh, boy. In diameter all the way around. Wow. So circular. And we got another uh, from Irene Brienne. I can't. She's very nice. It's just, she just, gives us money every month. She's the sweetest. She really is. So thank you to all our Donut Money donors. Thank you. And Patreon patrons, mm-hmm. past and present. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate your support of the show. Shit disturber or not. <laughs> Even if you're a shit disturber. If you want to show your support of Dark Poutine, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or for a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot to us if you did. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a like or follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody.